everyone dreams of living an uncommon life. And the best asset you have to achieve your dreams is you. Welcome to the Uncommon Wealth Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living uncommonly. We're also going to give you some tools and strategies for building wealth and for pursuing an uncommon path that is uniquely right for you. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Uncommon Wealth Podcast, where I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Aaron Kramer. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for taking your precious time, your most valuable resource time to listen to our podcast. Thank you. We are advisors, uh, for those who don't know, that uh, actually like what we do and we like our clients and we think that you are your best asset. And so we want to help you align your money in order to get yourself passionate about what you do every day. Sounds great, but uh, how do you do it? Uh, We have a unique process, and other episodes before this probably talks about that unique process, but uh, today, we wanted to talk about managing money, which is a pretty big deal for advisors, right? And it's taken, I've been in this industry almost 11 and a half years, Uh, it's taken this long to formulate what my philosophy is on the managing money side of things. Uh, and in fact, in on the show, we have had money managers come on and we've interviewed them. Um, I think Howard Capital is one of those. I think we even had Clark Capital at one point. Yeah. Money managers are people that uh, have developed a company. They feel like they have a, a philosophy that's powerful, valuable for clients, and they'll manage money. Well, in the past, we have at Uncommon Wealth bought into this, hey, money managers can manage money probably better than we we can. Yeah. Um, and we've done that. Well, if you do use money managers, a lot of times you have to think that they don't do that for free. Yeah, they don't. They charge a fee. Yep. Uh, and and then we charge a fee. And then a lot of times we we put your money in some place called a platform, and the platform has fees. And then the investment uh, managers will then invest your money, which also has fees. Yeah. So there's four fees right there that are just exposed. Uh, there's the platform fee. There's the investment fee, which anytime you ma- put money in the market, I shouldn't say anytime. Most of the time, there's going to be fees in that. So yeah, like you, that's pretty minimal. Do it yourself or like those little, then you have there. money managers. Then you have the platform fee. I can't remember all of it, but there's the four, and then you have us, the advisors. Yep. Uh, so maybe I duplicated one of those, but then you have the advisors. And so what we're trying to do is you got to control what you can control. And what we can control is fees yeah. and our philosophy. Yeah. And so moving forward, we are under the impression that we can put together a portfolio and make it cheaper for our investors. Yeah. And we can put together some kind of an investment strategy that one is matched their risk. Yep. And the fees are way lower than they ever have been. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that sound of that. So uh, we're going to today talk about kind of what we've fallen on as an investment strategy moving forward Yeah. and kind of how we got to this point and all that stuff. Where do you want to go from there? Aaron, oh I've set us up, buddy. Yeah. Well, I, I think it is like just to recap real quick on all that to shorten it up for our listeners is really what we're trying to do is make sure less mouths are getting fed before you our clients get fed hands in the cookie jar. Yeah. Like we're just, <laughs> it's like, get out of the cookie jar. It's the client's cookie jar and no. fees are real, right? They're a drag. If you start looking at things all over long term, it's real. And we got to make sure when, if we are getting paid to do this, that we are actually doing what we're doing and we're worth the fee that we're adding on it. 
That's valid. So that's valid. So let's start to when we start doing research on this. Really, uh, there's two factors here. One history, that yep. uh, history of the philosophy, I guess you call it the theory. Uh, and then also, it was big for Aaron and I both to have a uh, mentor yes. in this. We talk about this a lot. We say the cheat code of life is mentorship. Yeah. Uh, and so we wanted that. But we also wanted a history that we could go back and back test it and just see what happens. Now, here's what I will say about this. We can't manage people's money the way that they might invest themselves in that if they want to do specific individual stocks, they want to do all this stuff. Now we can do that, but we have to do that for a higher net worth individual. Yeah, because what we can't do is we can't. If someone comes to us and like, I want twenty percent of my portfolio to be in Tesla, mm-hmm. we can't do that. Right. Like legally, like we just that's not in your best interest to do right. that. And because mathematically, it's shown that we can't do that, so mm-hmm. we, we won't. Yeah. So, so that's that's something that I just wanted to be like upfront and honest with. Now, yeah. again, like for a high net worth individuals, a lot more opens up for yeah, us. Yeah, a lot more. But uh, for our average person, this is kind of what we're talking about is how do we manage money? What's our philosophy? And it all boiled down to us was modern portfolio theory. The Plus old some. MPT. Yeah. The modern portfolio theory. And so I just pulled this from a definition on the internet. Um, but... This is what it says. I'll read through it, and then we'll talk through it. So modern portfolio theory is a financial framework that was developed by Harry Markowitz in the 1950s. It is a mathematical approach to a portfolio construction that emphasizes the importance of diversification and risk management. There we are. All right. The theory suggests that investors can maximize return while minimizing risk all uh, by constructing a portfolio of assets that are not perfectly correlated. By combining assets that have different levels of risk and return, investors can reduce the overall risk of their portfolio without sacrificing potential returns. Yep. Okay? Um, MPT, or Modern Portfolio Theory, also introduces the concept of the efficient frontier, which is a set of optimal portfolios that offer the highest expected return for the given levels of risk the effective frontier um uh, sorry the efficient frontier is uh helps investors to identify the portfolio that best meets their needs tolerance and investment goals Uh, the efficient efficient frontier modern portfolio theory has a significant impact on the field of finance and has been has become a widely accepted approach to portfolio management. So that's where we started. So that's a little mouthful there. Especially for Philip to read it. Let's yeah. be honest. I am not that reader. Good, good job. Let's be honest. But uh, the efficient frontier and modern portfolio theory is kind of what Aaron and I started landing the plane on. Hey, how yeah. do we construct the appropriate portfolio for clients yeah. in order for them to uh, succeed in the market as as inefficient or uh, the fees as low as we possibly can. Yep. This is what we landed on. Here's another thing that we've adopted into our practice. Well, I was just, just going to get into this. Like, I love modern portfolio theory, and you know we like math. We're, we're financial advisors. We're geeks. Yeah, but the one thing I think me and Philip both really enjoy a bit more than math is the psychology of people. Yeah, you know because we love people, right? And the modern portfolio theory does have one big like hole in it. 
Oh yeah, it does. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah. And that's what we're going to get into this other, but I was first going to say our process is before we manage anybody's money, we like people to do a investor profile. Yeah. What kind of investor profile? A, uh, psychological, like, like what is, what is the portfolio risk that we should put to? And we like to try try to take the emotion out of it. Hey, here's the, Here's a third party. We already pay for it. Take this investor profile, and it comes out with your risk tolerance. So it's a very non-biased approach. It's not Aaron and I like, eh, you're young. You should have this risk tolerance. It's not that. But it asks you good questions towards money, not towards just a life, because your risk tolerance can be totally different towards something else. Yeah, right, right. Um, So we we do have all of our clients that, I shouldn't say all, but as many as we can, we like to at least have them do this investor profile that gives us a risk tolerance. And then as we were doing research in this modern portfolio theory, yeah. what did we find? So modern portfolio theory states that, because it's mathematics, and yes. we love mathematics, and if you, you know, and I think that's like 85% of our portfolio is modern portfolio theory. Yes. But it states that everything will work out the way you need it to work out as long as humans act rational. Mm. Yes, I don't know for our listeners, but I don't. I think we can all look around. And I'm not rational. Yeah, 100 percent of the time, you get emotional and you can't Absolutely. be rational. So um, that's that, where modern portfolio theory and the the mathematics of it breaks down. Yep. In, in our in our thought. Yes. And so we started like, okay, well, what happens when modern portfolio theory and people start acting irrationally? What happens? Yeah. So so we get going. into the behavioral investment theory. Yes. So. That's the and the like back up a little bit. This is the fun part. How me and Philip were like, oh man, we want to manage these portfolios for people, but like, how do we find a veteran that can do this and mentor us? Yeah. Well, that's the fun part. We found one. Yeah, we sure. I I bought him a book and I was like, hey, everything you're describing because we felt like we were good. I was like, I think it's this. We read this book. I took it to his office because we were doing a little lesson and he's like, Aaron, I've already read that. Yeah, and you're right. I was like, sweet. It's so good. And so the book that you bought. and you've read. Yep. It's called Behavioral Investor. And so I feel like our new philosophy is almost like behavioral investor theory. Yep. Which is based a lot on modern portfolio yeah, theory. A, but a lot of it. Like most of it is. Yeah. So this book, like here's the top 10 things that are like important in that book. Do yeah. you think that's a good I way to approach really it? Super All, right. Fair. All right. So behavioral bias can have a significant impact on investment decisions. And it's important to be aware of them. Yeah. So that's like the first and foremost. And that's kind of what you said is like, hey, when people start acting irrational, what happens to modern portfolio yeah. theory? Because mathematics go out the window. Yeah. And we're talking about like, I mean, when you were buying things, you know, you're buying stock in something. And if everyone, sh- you know, goes and buys and then pull, but pulls out, it affects your You return. better believe that. Yeah. Because yeah. someone might get scared. Oh, man. And so, the whipsaw event of that deal is yeah. real. Okay. Uh, so that's that's just I think the key basis is behavioral bias can have significant impact on investment decisions. Yep. Uh, and then the next one is overconfidence can lead to excessive risk taking and poor investment decisions. Yeah, it's a okay. big one. So let's talk about that. I think this is important and why we have introduced this uh, investor profile for our clients. Because for about mm, eight years, I felt like the market was just going gangbusters. Yeah. And everyone was like, high risk, I'm high Everybody risk. Everybody could take it. They're oh, like, baby. oh, I love this, these returns. <laughs> yes. Until they started going down. Yeah. That, then their risk tolerance changed quite 
fast. Right. And we talked about this efficient frontier, but basically it's saying that people's risk should be commensurate with what kind of loss they're willing to take. The way that yeah. I kind of communicate this is like, what kind of roller coaster do you want your money to be on? Okay. Mm-hmm. Some people can take the dips and valleys. Some people can't. Yeah. And so what we've done to in, introduce and kind of, I don't know, mitigates the right word, but it's just, just here's an investor profile, takes the emotion out of it. I don't care what the market's doing. It's going to give us a good understanding of what your risk tolerance should be yeah. in a portfolio. And our hope is that if we get you in the right portfolio, you won't yank it and be irrational when the market goes down. Yeah, because you, you're ready for it. And then you can get conditioned, and you, your risk profile can change over time. 100% accurate. Yeah. So, so that's kind of number two. Yeah, number two. But then for us, though, too, as like managers of portfolios, as we're building it, yeah, we have these are the same things we have to worry about as we're doing it, right? Yeah. So how do we confect that on our overconfidence? Like we are Mr. Know-it-all? No. Right. It's surrounding ourselves, one, with a good... You know, mentor, but I mean, I we're both doing this, but constantly learning. Constantly mm-hmm. learning is the number one, one way to bring down your confidence. But and I found bring down like, or bring up, bring up your confidence. No, it's bring down. Oh, it's bring down to learn. Yeah, like when you learn, your confidence goes down. Yes. Oh, interesting. Because you you, you feel, realize how much you don't know. You realize how much you don't know. <laughs> it's like so you constantly keep learning. You're humble. Yeah, you're, hey, you're getting humble. Okay. And then for us, like it's reading more and more books, and you got it. Like, the biggest thing we have to do, and we're, that we do, is talk to people that don't believe the th- same things we do mm-hmm. to challenge us. Yeah. But also read books that go against what we believe, and with an open mind. Right. You know. So, right. anyways. Uh, so we've talked about overconfidence, but also fear and anxiety can cause investors to sell investments at the wrong time, leading to losses. So those kind of go hand in hand, but basically yeah. they're articulating the first one is like, hey, honestly, behavioral biases can have a significant impact. Yeah, because if you're too scared, like you, I mean, we see it right now during times like look at the pandemic's perfect example, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Right. I mean, we all got, we all bundled down as a society and then Things changed, you know, yeah. but like with the stock market and everything, but like the people that stayed tight, ran the path, we're yep. good. Uh, then greed. Greed is also something yeah. that can really change this, can lead to uh, chasing hot stocks or market trends, which can result into poor performance. Um, yeah. So I think th- something that I've really resonated with this is it sounds great to then jump out of the market and go hundred percent cash, Yeah. but you've got to be right twice. Yeah. The first time of when to get out. Yep. And the second time, which I think is even harder, is when to get back in. Yeah. And so the only way that, well, I shouldn't say the only way. That was probably a compliance f- snafu. Shouldn't say that. A, a good way to not make money is to try to time the market in and out, in and out, in and out, because you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And you always have this like buyer's remorse. I should have done this if it's not the perfect bottom or yeah. if it's not the, oh, I should have got in yesterday because it's up. Three percent, whatever. Like it's constantly changing. So I'm saying, putting it into a portfolio that your risk tolerance is commensurate with. Then we're going to try to figure out how to ride this storm, even when the market's not going according to plan. Yeah. So, all right, where are we at? Loss aversion. Oh, baby, which is totally a real thing. So yeah. talk to me about it. So loss aversion can cause investors to hold on to losing investments for too long, leading to further losses. So. Basically, you think that it's going to come back. It's going to come back. It's going right. to come back. Like, I know the stock's going to come back. It's right. like where it should just be, you know, we got to cut our ties. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think this is where I hate that saying, set it and forget it. Have you ever heard advisors 
hey, give me your money, set it, and forget it. Like, yeah. that couldn't be a worst, like, philosophy. So don't, please don't set your money anywhere and forget it. Yeah. That's not the play. But what I think they mean is like, hey, how do we take the emotion out of it? Yep. That is, that is actually pretty sound advice. Yeah, because there is times in the market and our economy when some portions of the stock market is more negative coefficient than yeah. other times. Yeah, for sure. It's something that uh, our mentor said that was like really, it hit home for me. He's like, hey, when you're ready, and he was like pretending he was talking to a client, when you're ready to throw a brick through my window, could you attach a check to it? Because we're going to put it in the market. Yeah. <laughs> and that's usually the time of like buy more. The market's a really good value to buy yeah. into. And I was like, that's really interesting. Because I think that's kind of going to this loss aversion, you know? So, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Confirmation bias mm-hmm. can lead the investors to seek out information that confirms their existing beliefs rather than considering all available information. So oh, kind of touched on this over yeah. the overconfidence. I think you're right. So that's good. Like, this is the biggest one. I know our, uh, our mentor says he tackles mm-hmm. with clients. Mm-hmm. So is, yeah, it's confirmation bias. Yeah. Cause People want to know, think they're right. Yeah. And this is, this is really like not only just, you can pretty much apply a lot of these to many areas of your life, Yeah, but like you can always surround yourself with crazy. Yep. And like, but is that crazy? Great. Like, you know, like, oh, I feel like underwater basket weaving is the new like sport that everybody should do because all you're looking at is underwater basket weaving stuff. Yeah. What a dumb example, but you get it. And so everything you do, you surround yourself with underwater basket weavers. That is the best underwater basket weavers you've ever seen in your life. And then not only that, but now AI is starting to show and show you stuff on your phone that you're constantly seeking out of like how underwater basket weaving is the new sport and blah, blah, blah. How do you pull yourself out of it and like not have this confirmation bias? Yeah, like it's hard. I don't know how you do it. And I'm not saying I have a solution, but I think it's one just to recognize it. And I think, and how you pull yourself out is keeping an open mind, Mm -hmm. but also putting like math to paper, Mm -hmm. you know, and seeking out people to challenge your way of thinking, but not to argue with them and just show that you're right. It's a more like, show me how I'm wrong. Yeah. Right. The anchoring bias uh, can cause investors to rely too heavy on a single piece of information, such as a purchase price of a stock or one specific piece of information, and then they buy like do their whole investment philosophy around that. Yeah, a big one on this where you see people do is that they have stock in the company that they work at. Oh, that's good. They love the right. company they work at. They they're in there. They know it. They're operating there. And there's so many stories about people having a, the majority of their 401k in the stock of their company. And is it Enron or en- Enron. Enron? Enron. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, so many people Ooh. there were like, I know it. Like, this tough. is a great company. And they were interviewing people, like, loved it. They thought that everything was going great. A week later, Boom. went under. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. Uh, okay, so the herd mentality, so basically causing investors to follow the crowd, even when it's not their best interest. It's interesting. Uh, I've always wanted to be the person that like didn't do that, but I yeah. know how easy it is to be like, well, everybody else is doing it. Like, we got to do this. Yeah, everyone's getting out. Real talk. Yeah. I did this one time with uh, cryptocurrency. <laughs> zero. It is zero now. And I'm not saying that, that, but that was something that everyone's doing. And I was like, I have no idea about this. I went against all of my philosophy in my life. Yeah. Uh, zero. 
Aaron zero. That's what that is now. Um, and I was just kicking myself because like, well, one, it's a great lesson, right? Like follow the lessons, follow the stuff and like follow the advice that you actually give people fill up. Yeah. And if you don't know anything about the investment might not be the best thing. Like this could be a herd mentality. Totally was. Uh, and so good lesson to learn. Yeah. Cause I mean, everybody, I think the word this really happens is when you look at back things like, you know, Apple, everything like this, and you're like, oh my gosh, if I just would have bought Apple. Yeah, right. Like everybody else. That's six dollars. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I would like so then you get so scared like because you wanna you wanna do those things, you wanna take those opportunities, or you wanna lose those losses. But the thing is, is you can't. And no, you can't. So, I mean it's, it's well, I we haven't been able to. Yeah. And I think it's unrealistic. And so this this next point is like how do you how do you try to minimize some of those risks? And it's just a disciplined and systematic approach to investing can help overcome behavioral biases, which yeah. we've talked about a lot of them. Uh, and then developing a long-term investment plan and sticking to it can help avoid making impulse decisions based on emotions. Yeah. So that's kind of the book that we, you know, you've read and then uh, our mentor has read. I've skimmed for the record. We know Philip. Yeah. And so, uh, but it's really good stuff, and it's really helpful to know and have our listeners and our, our clients know how we like to manage money yeah. moving forward. And so let's let's keep fees low. Let's really try to do a good job uh, developing a disciplined and systematic approach, which we feel like modern portfolio theory is a great tool. Yes. And this behavioral theory is also amazing. It fills that little gap that it has. Right. And, and then, um, you know, like for our higher net worth clients, they have the ability to handle a couple different things that maybe we can have yep. more strategic and intentional strategies for them. Yeah. Um, and obviously like those take a little bit more um, time and expertise. And so because of the bigger amounts we get paid differently as yeah. well or i shouldn't say pay differently we get paid more and so we yeah. just want to provide as but much value it's as also you know. like the bigger account there's that plus the fact that like when you take someone's you take a different strategy within a portfolio three percent of their portfolio yep on a bigger account that's much more money that to leverage those mm-hmm. strategies whereas like these smaller accounts three percent doesn't really get you to much to like leverage those things it's a good point so so we do and like full disclosure we can do options for people um, we can do a lot of different quirky things, but we just have to make sure that one, the risk tolerance can handle it. Yep. And then two, that they have the understanding of what we're doing. So they're not like, I have no idea. And yeah. go back to Philip, like, eh, it's, it's gone. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like you always want to know something about what's going on. You might not have to be the expert of it, but you have to have at least a good understanding of what's happening. Yeah. So we want to make sure all of our clients are informed with that stuff. But uh, man, that's it. Yeah, but like I, we got to like touch on my favorite part of this book, though. Oh, let's go, Aaron. Kramer. All right, so real quick, like this is one that's super powerful. And around this time I was reading this book, this is where I realized like I'm not managing my own money. Ah, right. Okay. So, um, because it's me, like meaning right. like it's my money, it gets really emotional, right? Yeah. My modern portfolio theory is great until the emotions kick in. <laughs> yeah. So until we're irrational. Yeah. So there, it takes a lot of brain power to like manage your emotions like it takes a lot of energy mm-hmm. and it, so when those decisions come into play you have to be able to think through it and all those 10 things that we just listed off you have to combat all those yes and i don't know if you're if you're anything like me and philip i'm sure everybody listening has had a day when you come home from work and you're just like whoo that was a day and you're exhausted you can't even make yeah. a decision like you start stuttering over words right now philip I got, I got this fun question I got to ask. Yeah, go ahead. All right, do you got something first? No, I think that's good. Keep All going. right. It's good. So in this book, it talked about 
and it told a statistic of how much, how many decisions an average person makes a day. And I feel I want you to try to answer how many. And so full disclosure, Aaron asked me this before the okay, podcast, yeah. and I said three thousand, and 3, I was like trying to go high. Yeah, thirty six thousand was what you told me. Thirty five or thirty five thousand decisions that the average person makes in a day. Yeah. Which is mind-boggling. So mind-boggling. Like, how many, that has so many decisions. Because you think, you start breaking it down. What pair of socks you're going to wear? Like, what shirt you're going to put on? Or how are you going to do your hair today? Right. Like, all these things, but it all takes energy mm-hmm. to make these decisions. Oh, yeah. Are you going to turn left? Are you going to turn right? Some, and some take more energy than others. Yes. Right? Like, so especially that, like when you're talking to somebody specifically yeah. about maybe a pretty sensitive topic. Yeah. Like, that takes some negotiating Yep. Mm-hmm. You're making decisions like, how am I going to ask this question? How am I going to work this question in? It's good. All these things. So with that said, though, that's where I came to my conclusion and is when I'm managing, granted, like my money is in the same portfolios as our clients. Yeah. That helps. But mine comes to the point where like, am I going to pull out like for this thing mm-hmm. or am I going to put more money in for these, these goals? You know, so I, you know, like I've always shared, like Philip is the one that has, can put push that button i can't right on my account right so good anyways for everybody out there i think people can manage their own assets if they have the capacity to do that to do this right like and And the desire to want to learn more yeah we really do feel like that that's something kind of uncommon about uncommon wealth it's like hey you can do this yourself yeah totally if you have bandwidth and you get excited about it yep but i know like we've kind of made in that realm of like business owners and stuff Mm mm-hmm and they're making big decisions throughout the day. Yeah. And they're doing a lot. And they, and they're seeking a dream. They're not chasing things. And so they're seeking their passion. And so at the end of the day, this is the one last thing they want to worry about. But it, it, for everybody else, though, that's something to think about. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to, after the, your end of the day, and let's just say you're the average person, you've made 35,000 choices, <laughs> decisions. Yeah. Do you have the bandwidth to make a few more on a super emotional topic, which is your money? good point so it's a good point okay well that's just a little bit of behind the curtains of how we look at uh, managing portfolios and the process in of that and so if this is appealing to you or you have any questions or you guys think we're crazy which i'd love to hear that yeah uh anything podcast at uncommonwealth.com we'd love to hear from you uh, thank you for listening Thank you, Aaron, for all the research you've done. Thank you to our mentor. Man, we've got a lot of things to thank you. And then I think, too, just like staying humble in all this. Like, we don't have all the answers, but we try to take the emotion out of some of the things and have a systematic approach about how we manage your money. Yeah. So you've been listening to the Uncommon Wealth Podcast. I've been your host, Philip Ramsey. And I'm Aaron Kramer. Till next time, go be uncommon. Thanks for listening. That's all for this episode. Brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit uncommonwealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.